after the holiday week and before we get into the season of joy and light, I thought I would give a talk about suffering. <laughs> Just in case you were too jubilant and upbeat. Just to give you a good dose of reality. No, what I, well, I do want to talk about that, but I want to talk about how we work with difficulty, how we work with challenges in our lives, and in some very specific ways that uh, were highlighted for me as I was teaching this retreat up the hill, where um, there were many people, as there often are when people come on retreats, often what prompts people to do a retreat is often some big mm, change in life circumstances or, or inner struggles and uh, looking for the retreat to bring some solace or some ways of working with it. So, um, and as I was working quite intensively with a few people who were, who were in a lot of distress, um, it, it became clear to me that I wanted to share some ways of working uh, that uh, are really useful in that domain. So I'm just going to give a little background in terms of the context of uh, suffering as the Buddha spoke to it. So as you know, the Buddha uh, was oriented a lot in his teaching, or primarily in his teaching, towards understanding how we get into the mess we get into. Why we don't just simply reside happily and peacefully in our lives, in our meditations, in our relationships. And so his teachings were specifically to, to, to address that. What is going on that we, are, we have so much mental anguish and distress and stress you know, we, here we are living in the Bay Area and there's a lot of um, abundance, you could say, or prosperity and uh, we have a lot of our basic needs taken care of. So why, why is it that we are troubled and distressed and how do we deal with life circumstances that are challenging, which they inevitably will be at times, if not a lot of the time? So the, the word for suffering, as you may know, many of you will know, is dukkha. Dukkha is a Pali word that um, has many, many different meanings, but the, I think the meaning that speaks to me most is difficult to bear. Something that is difficult to bear. When something is difficult to bear, it's painful. It's hard to be with. The very nature of it wants to, wants to repel us away from it. So it also translates as uh, unsatisfactoriness, incapable of providing lasting satisfaction. So this, I was also prompted to talk about this because we were on Thanksgiving Day we were talking about, funnily enough, things to be grateful for, um, and uh, you know it's a very sweet. It's for me it's a very sweet uh, time of year to be to have that more in the forefront of our consciousness. Um, and we, were, we had a big feast, and, and it was a quite festive. But I also said, you know, and for many of us, this is a very challenging time of year. You know, holidays particularly bring up feelings of the, around the people that we've separated from, that we've lost, that we're no longer in contact with, who've died. 
Um, so the holiday season is actually very mixed, even though the consumer culture would, would like us to think it's all um, you know, fairy lights and Christmas trees. And so um, one, of the, one of the ways the Buddha uh, defined uh, uh, suffering is in this list, which I always think is quite interesting, but especially around Christmas time, where he said, um, suffering is not getting what you want and getting what you don't want. So if you're th- sitting around the Christmas tree and you you open up a present from Aunt Matilda and it's um, a sock warmer or a, a tea cozy or a <laughs> I don't know what, uh, golf club knitted warmer, I don't know what <laughs> you might get in your Christmas stocking. Um, to reflect on these things, not getting what we want, getting what we don't want, being separated from that which we love, losing what we have. So these are pretty ubiquitous human experiences. Not getting what we want. Anybody not get what you want? Anybody not get what you want today? Or yesterday? Or in your body? Anybody ask for the body that you wanted? Did someone come up to you and say, here's a catalog, you can get this, you know, really strong, healthy, muscly, beautiful, slim, tanned, young. (laughs) Can I get the permanently young body, please? The one that doesn't have pains and aches? Did you ask for the kind of mind that that you have? I mean, did you sign up for a mind that is basically oriented towards fear and threat and survival? and that likes to think and plan its way out of every dilemma, that can't sit still, that seeks for things that are impossible to attain, that compares itself unfavorably to everybody. Did you sign up for that? No, it's just what we, what we end up with when it's untrained. Did we ask for the family that we, uh, well, some say you do, but I'm not, uh, it's not my experience. Did we, did we sign up? Well, I'll take that one over there. That's, that one looks pretty dysfunctional. I'll, I'll go to that one. That, that looks... <laughs> They really hate each other. I, that, I'm gonna, that one's really dangerous. I'll go there. No, we, we were born into the circumstances that we were born into, and for some it's favorable, for some it's very distressing. Very, and it, we end up working with the repercussions of those conditions for the rest of our lives. Yeah, very uh, strong part of human experience. So, which is why I was orienting us a little in the sitting to looking at how we're working with experience, whether it's to someone snoring, or our knee pain, or our distressed emotions, or our anxious thoughts. You know, how do you relate to this? How do you, how do you show up? How do you be with it? How do you work with it? This is really the, the key question in practice. How do we work with this stuff of life? The challenges, the joys, the contractions, the loneliness, the fears, the, the not getting what we want, the getting what we don't want. So maybe just take a moment to reflect on some of these things that, that are troubling for you in your life, that they fit into the schema. What would be an example of not getting what you want? You don't have to think too hard about this. This is quite simple. <laughs> Anybody? The amount of money that you want and you're 
money, not getting the money that we want in our livelihood. Rejection, not, not wanting rejection, yes. Not getting enough time to myself. Not getting enough time. Time, money, relationship. What about getting what you don't want? GMOs. GMOs, especially since the Prop 37 failed. Illness. Illness. What else do we have to work with that we don't want? Harassment. Harassment. Death of loved ones, yeah, very painful. Okay, let's Republicans. Okay, <laughs> for some it's Republicans, for some it's Democrats, for some it's Independents. Hmm? Change, getting what we don't want, change. Loud noises. Yeah. So losing what we have. What about, what about losing what we have? Anybody lost something that, that we attach to? Freedom. Losing our freedom. Giving up our freedom. Parents. Hmm? Parents. Parents. Health. Health. Anybody lost youth? <laughs> Anybody find that youth thing? <laughs> Vitality. Strength. Memory. I was just about to say that, but I forgot. <laughs> yeah. And being separated from that which we love. What about that in your experience? Anybody? What are we separated from that we, that's dear to us, that causes us pain? For me, it might be country of origin at times, from England. What are you separated from, which is painful? Could be all the whole list of things we've just gone through. <laughs> Health, vitality, memory. I think the thing that's most uh, important in, in, in that is, is being separated from the truth, being separated from my true nature, being separated from knowing the truth of who we are. That's not this separate, isolated individual. That's something much vaster and deeper and profound and connected than that. So I wanted to read this story. Well, it's a story. It's really a, um, some words from the first uh, Native American Olympian. Some of you may know this story. Billy Mills, who was a great athlete in the 60s, I believe. And um, was still during the time of intense racial segregation, and so he won a medal, uh, I think he won a gold, uh, in track. And, but because of the, the racism that was still prevailing, that he wasn't allowed to um, be uh, acknowledged when he came back to this country for his great efforts. And so it was a tremendous suffering for him. He was also a, a veteran. And it was, it was a huge uh, loss of faith to be work so hard to uh, compete for the country that he loved and then to be completely disdained by the powers that be. So he wrote this very f profound reflection. And I'm reading this because it's, it's, it's pointing to how we work with, with the things that we're given. 
He writes, I was given poverty that I might find my inner strength. I asked for fame so others would know me. I was given obscurity that I might know myself. I asked for a person to love me that I might never be alone. I was given the life of a hermit that I might learn to accept myself. I asked for power that I might achieve, but I was given weakness that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might lead a long life. I was given infirmity that I might appreciate each minute. I asked Mother Earth for strength that I might have my way. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for her. I asked to live happily that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy happily. I received nothing I asked for, yet all my wishes came true. I asked for nothing that I, I, I received nothing I asked for, yet all my wishes came true. I am richly more and blessed more than I ever hoped. So that's one person's way of working with a very difficult set of circumstances that wasn't asked for, was given to. So in the Dharma teachings, these teachings of the Buddha, they're really invitations to learn how to work with our human predicament. And there's tools and practices and methodologies that, that help us navigate through this weird thing we call life, called waking up, called being conscious, called living human life. And Thich Nhat Hanh put it this way. He said, Buddhism is simply a way to live well. Buddhism is simply a way to live well. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. Happiness is available, please help yourself. Which is basically saying, here's how it's, you know, how we understand reality. Here's ways that cause well-being and clarity and happiness. Here's ways that cause continua suffering and misery. And you have a choice. Take your pick. One leads to well-being, one leads to continued unhappiness. So that's the choice we're given with, with mindfulness, with awareness. We see, we can see the ways that our minds, our, rea- our habits, and our tendencies, reactions cause difficulty, cause distress, and ways that cause disentanglement or peace or ease. So the example today of somebody snoring in the meditation, I can see a lot of people were agitated with the sound. Right? So, you know, we could have done something. We could have nudged the person and would have been okay. Or we could just sit with it and work with our mind. And uh, life's always like that. You know, there'll always be some metaphorical snorer in our life, in our meditation, in our, maybe in our bed. <laughs> or in our office or in our, you know, who knows where, anywhere. Our relationship. So what's, your, what's the response to that? You know, is, is the inner response create more suffering than the very thing that started it? Which is so often the case. You know? One of my favorite lines from Ajahn Chah, one of Jack's teachers, he says, it's not, the, it's not that we disturb the noise. It's not the noise disturbs us, but we disturb the noise. The noise doesn't disturb the silence, but our own reactive mind does. So again, without judging ourselves for that, 
but to see oh, where 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 is the cause of this suffering and and how is there another way to be with it than I than I am currently involved in in my reactive state. This is from Viktor Frankl, who lived through some years in concentration camps and wrote so beautifully, powerfully about it afterwards. He said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our happiness. And really, he's kind of summarizing some of the essence of mindfulness practice. Between stimulus, you know, so the stimulus of whatever it might be, might be a really annoying sound, and how you respond to that. Okay, you can stop cringing now. (laughs) There's a space. Mindfulness provides that space. It's a moment of, it's a pause where we, where, where there's some, there's some, there's enough space to, to discern. How do I, what's a wise response to this? Do I leave? Do I take the handle away from him so he can't, the bell ring us, he can't bash the bell? And in in our response, depending on the response, lies our happiness or well-being. So in psychology, it's called response flexibility. How do we? How flexible are are we in our response to phenomena? So think about this in your own life. Where 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 is required a little more response flexibility, a little more wisdom or discernment in how you're reacting to your partner's annoying habits? or your boss at work, or the overwhelm of email in your inbox, or the weather, or the annoying neighbor's dog that barks at three in the morning, or you know, whatever your circumstances, the, the chronic pain that you have in your back. You know, what's, where's the space? How do you find space to not be drowning in your Feeling of feeling victimized by circumstances. So, in the Vipassana teachings, in the mindfulness teachings, there are um, different orientations to uh, how we work with stuff, how we work with things. So, it, with mindfulness, generally the instruction is when something comes up in your attention and your experience, you you bring that focused awareness towards it. Say if it's a physical pain, it's some sadness or grief or joy or expansion, or light, contraction. The instructions there, notice it, feel it, be with it, allow it, see how it changes. T- you know, take your awareness like a surgeon's probe into it, really explore it and understand it. Get to know it, get familiar with it. Meeting the moment as it is with awareness, as we talk about in the in the instructions, and this is a fine approach to working with things, and it's the central orientation we have with our practice. But it's not the only approach, and that's partly what I want to speak about tonight. 
So I want to read this piece. I read this before here, but I think it's a wonderful um, example of, of how we um, bring this how mindful orientation to things that has this responsiveness in the, in, in the meeting. So we, we attuned and we're not struggling with reality, not struggling with whatever difficult circumstances we have. So this is from Harada Roshi. He says, in this passing moment, all things come to be. And I vow to choose what is. I vow to be with what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is pain, I choose to feel. If there is sorrow, I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. What I shoulder, I choose to bear. When it is my death, I choose to go, to die. Where this takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. So I love that, 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 I, that principle of meeting experience as it is. If there's need, I choose to give. If there's pain, I choose to feel. Being with what is, I respond to what is. So if there's pain, how many of you choose to feel it? Or do you mostly, you know, turn on the TV and have a drink and something? Go to the fridge, get the Ben and Jerry's out. Something, anything, please. Yeah. Oh, when the meditation's boring, do you choose to feel the boredom or do you, you know, run another fantasy? Yeah. What are you going to get for Christmas? Some sexual thing? Some holiday romance? Yeah. So, so often we're not, we're choosing away from what's here. And, you know, that can work for a while. <laughs> But it never really resolves anything because it just things keep following us. We start dragging this whole bag of stuff around because we're choosing not to be with it, and of course it doesn't go away. It just and we add stuff in our backpack. So instead of enlightening the load, we uh, whatever that verb would be to heavy the load, <laughs> increase the load. <coughs> So I want to read this piece by Darlene Cohen, um, which can sound a little heavy, but the principle of it is um, Darlene Cohen's a Zen teacher who struggled with um, degenerative illness. And um, as you'll see, that the, there's a tremendous mm, resoluteness about how she works with her, her difficulty. She says, people sometimes ask me where my own healing energy comes from. How in the midst of this pain, this implacable, slow crippling, can I encourage myself and other people? My answer is that my healing comes from my bitterness itself, from my despair and terror. It comes from the shadow. I dip down into that muck again and again, and I'm flooded with its healing energy. And despite the renewal and vitality it gives me to face my deepest fears, I don't go willingly when they call. I've been around that wheel a million times, First I feel a despair, and then I, just, then I did deny it for a few days. 
then its tug becomes more insistent in proportion to my resistance. Finally, it overwhelms me and pulls me down, kicking and screaming. It's clear I'm caught, so at last I give up to this loss, to this reunion with the dark aspect of my adjustment to pain and loss. Immediately the release begins, first peace and then the flood of vitality and healing energy. I can never just give up to it when, it first, when I first feel it stir. You'd think after a million times with a happy ending, I could give up right away and just say, take me, I'm yours, but I never can. I always resist. I guess that's why it's called despair. If you went willingly, it'd be called something like purification or renewal or something hopeful. It's staring defeat and annihilation in the face that's so terrifying. I must resist it till it overwhelms me, but I've come to trust it deeply. It's enriched my life, informed my work, and taught me not to fear the dark. Does that sound familiar? We feel the first tugs and we go, oof, not that again. No way I'm going to feel that. I'm I'm on holiday. This is Thanksgiving. I'm not going to feel sad. I did sad last week. And then we, at some point it keeps banging on the door. Say, okay, I'll feel you. Okay. And then it can transform us, as she talks about. It takes us deeper into ourselves. Healing, powerful, transformative. We become fearless. We become courageous. We're no longer scared of sad people because we're not running from our own sadness. There's tremendous gifts that come from that. So, as I mentioned when I was working with some students on the the course uh, who were working with chronic pain and some old traumas, um, what I noticed is that uh, often when when we're working with physical pain or intense emotional pain, the nature of that experience is it pulls us in. It's like a vortex. You notice that physical pain, you're trying to meditate and you're with your breath and there's just the gnawing, stabbing, lower back just keeps pulling the attention or the sadness or the loss or the loneliness keeps pulling the attention. Yes? So that's the nature of pain. It, it, it does pull the attention. It's, you know, it's, it's an evolutionary response. We, we listen when our body's in pain so we can take care of it so our foot doesn't go moldy and gangrene. And the problem with that from a meditation point of view, from a mindfulness point of view, which is you know, part of, part of the, the, the essence of meditation is to cultivate balance. If we consistently get pulled into those dark, difficult places, we tend to get worn out. We tend to get depleted. It's tiring. It's exhausting. And then, our, and then it starts to affect our perception. So our perceptual bias becomes filtered by that experience and we start seeing everything as painful or as difficult or as sad or as depressing or hard. Which means we become imbalanced because that's not the whole experience. But it can so easily take over our experience. So one of the things I was exploring with these folks on the, on the retreat is, t- is um, something I've learned um, from Peter Levine's work on somatic experiencing, <coughs> which is how to work with trauma and, and intense pain um, with some skillful applications of mindfulness. And we'll do a little exercise in a minute to, to explore this. <coughs> so when you're in meditation or when you're in your life and you're encountering intense physical or emotional pain and you're feeling like it's pulling you down, pulling you under, where you're 
feeling overwhelmed or you lose perspective, you lose balance, you lose clarity, one of the most helpful things to do is to shift your attention away from it, which is the opposite instruction of most mindfulness for passionate teachings, which is take your attention to whatever's happening. Right? Often when we do that, especially with things like anxiety and fear and depression, what it can do is it just exacerbates it, it just makes it more intense. Like, for instance, when you're flying and uh, the, the pilot comes on and says, um, the airline hostesses are going to come around and collect the shoes. Everything's okay, but we're going to remove all sharp pointy objects and we're going to do an emergency landing. What happens? Naturally, fear, anxiety, terror. When we bring our attention to those things, often it just spikes them more. It just exacerbates them more. Not always. Sometimes we can calm ourselves down. So we want to find alternative ways for being with those in that, that, that intensity in our meditation, in our lives. So we can, we can practice in our meditation. That's what the meditation is a training ground. So one of the orientations uh, is called resourcing, which means shifting the attention to something that isn't the vortex of difficulty. So, um, for instance, uh, there were several people reporting about feeling unsafe on the retreat for various reasons. One had physical ailments, one had emotional challenges that were causing that. And so, and being consumed by the feeling of unsafety, that's all that was seen. And, and you know, we, so we see through that lens. So I asked, I said, I asked two of them, I said, well, how about shifting your attention to what feels safe? Even though maybe your body feels safe or certain situations feel safe, what in the, what in the situation here in reality is actually safe? So we start shifting to something other than the contraction. Or if it would be the same instruction of you're experiencing chronic pain, what is not painful in, this exp- in your environment? Or if you're feeling sad and, and lonely, what else is here outside of the sadness? So maybe right now you're feeling horribly bored. So what else is here aside from the boredom? Oh, nothing. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> I want to go home. You stop droning on. <laughs> I mean, I suppose there's always your iPhone. You could be playing some games if you're really boy. You can get some apps out, you know, bingo or something. So, and the principle of how this works is, you start from the most inner place. So. Say you're, you're with your breath and you notice some physical pain. And for those of you who have physical pain, you can, we can do this right now. The first orientation would be to shift the attention to somewhere in the body that's, that's not feeling that vortex of pain. For a lot of people, especially if it's emotional distress, the grounding place is usually the feet. Feet, legs, sometimes hands. 
sometimes the body is so agitated that nothing in the body feels calming and grounding. Other, nothing feels outside of that distress. So you'd shift to something like sounds. Listening to sounds invites kind of an open, more open, uh, receptive, spacious awareness. So you might listen to sounds of silence or the birds or whatever's in the environment. For some people, if, if you want a wider field, you'd open your eyes. You'd look around. Find something that's pleasing, that's, that's pleasant in the environment. If we shift our, some, our attention to something neutral or pleasant, it allows the nervous system to relax. When the nervous system relaxes, we have more resources to go back to feeling the distress. If that's not enough, we'd move the body, stand up, walk around, go outside. Nature is a wonderful resource. So we keep widening the, the lens of what we, you know, the, the things that we're drawing on. So I had an experience of this when I was on a retreat a um, long time ago. I was uh, doing a three-month course, and I had one of those retreats from hell where um, uh, a lot of really intense um, trauma came up that I hadn't experienced before. And really threw me sideways. I couldn't. I couldn't do any. I couldn't meditate with it. I couldn't do anything. I was. It was really challenging. And um, so. And I. And I was signed up. I was in the middle. It was in. It was like after about four weeks. I had two more months of this retreat to go. And I. I was homeless at the time, so I didn't have anywhere to go. So I had to stay at the retreat center, which was kind of a drag because I was really feeling a lot of trauma. And being at the retreat center was traumatizing in a way. Um, so my uh, my practice lo- began to look very different. Um, my teacher gave me his uh, iPod, and I would walk in the woods, listen to music, and shouting, and running, and occasionally whacking rocks and stones, and just kind of moving energy. And and I'd go into my interview with my teacher, and I'd say, you know. It doesn't really feel like I'm meditating. I'm just kind of, you know, running around shouting in the woods, listening to Mozart. And uh, everyone else is like, serious meditating and, you know, silence. And and I said, I just feel like a terrible meditator. Like, what, you know, what's up with that? And he said, well, you have to understand that practice is about learning how to be with balance. So whatever allows you to be with balance is practice. So in that in that moment, because of the trauma that was running through my system, being in balance was hiking in the woods, listening to music, relaxing, doing nothing, reading. That was allowing me to contain and hold my experience. So in that context, that was practice. For somebody else, practice was meditating 19 hours a day you know, without moving. You know, in that, in that, for that person, that was the right thing at that time. So that, found, that was very liberating for me to understand, to get a very different view of what practice is about. Practice is about giving us the tools to be with our experience with compassion and awareness. Right? So if you apply that to yourself, what are the supports in your life that allow you to be with your experience with awareness and kindness? Yeah. Which may be meditation, but at times it might not be meditation. So I had someone on the retreat doing very similar practice that I was doing and was, was having great release from discharging a lot of energy running up the hill and getting big sticks and hitting things, not people, rocks and inanimate things, you know, bowing to the rocks and then you know, hitting them a little bit. 
Um, so let's do a little pr ex exercise. So just close your eyes for a second and um, just call to mind something that's really challenging for you. And of course you might not have to look very far because it might already be here. Maybe you're already in sitting with physical pain, chronic pain. Maybe you're sitting with chronic illness. Maybe you have something very challenging in your heart. Some sadness, loss, distress, fear. So call to mind something uh, that's challenging for you. That brings, it's hard to be with. The definition of dukkha, difficult to bear. See it, feel it, sense it. And of course, it's an exercise, so it may not be fully as alive as it is when it's happening live in your life. But maybe you can get some intimation of it. And then, without losing awareness of it, I want you, I want to sh you to shift us to somewhere in your body that's not affected or touched by that experience. So maybe sensing your feet or your legs or your hands. Feeling, sensing those. And notice how that affects the, the vortex of pain or distress. Maybe you can play with shifting the attention back and forwards between, say, your feet and the difficulty, physical pain, emotional pain. For some of you, that might not be so useful because the, the, there may not be any sort of safe, neutral place in the body. So shift your attention to sounds, to silence, to the space here. See what that does to the vortex of difficulty. And then you can play with just opening your eyes very softly, like half open, have your gaze down. And notice what effect that has on Reducing, uh, de-intensifying the experience of the difficulty. So shift your attention to something that you like in the room. Look around, see if there's anything pleasant. Catches your eye. The beautiful ceiling, you know, the cathedral ceiling. 
notice what happens when you find something that you like. What uh, happens to your body, to your nervous system. And then shift your attention back to that place of difficulty. Notice how quickly that feeling can escalate. And then shift your attention back to the thing that you're enjoying looking at. Notice how it might affect the experience in the body. So you can play with that in your, in your meditation. You know, sometimes we have this idea that if something comes up, we have to be with it and be with it and be with it and be with it. Um, but that's not the case. There's a place for that. There's a place for also knowing that we have freedom in our, in our awareness and where we place our awareness. So this is different than just putting on the, on the TV and checking out. That's just unconscious avoidance, or conscious avoidance, but usually unconscious avoidance. This is conscious redirecting the attention to bring balance. Very helpful, especially when we're distressed. You know, you can try this in a meeting. Someone might be attacking you in a meeting. Or when you get a hostile email, or someone cuts you off on the freeway. You know, to, to see, to notice the intensity of the experience and then see if there's a way that there can be grounding. Something you can be present to in your experience that's not that activation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Was that useful? Was that? Yeah? Okay. It's, it's very simple. It's very, it's almost so simple. It's like, huh? Cares. But it is. It's it, it's actually very, very profound, uh, especially in, in, in more intense states. So, of course, the other important thing about working with that level of distress is to bring the heart in. You know, it's, it's really what the, the salve of the heart, the, 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 the bringing of any kind of warmth or kindness or tenderness or vulnerability or love, compassion, um, also is equally important as bringing awareness to it. And of course, often the first thing that we experience when we're having difficulty is we either feel judgment or rejection. I don't want that. Why am I still grieving? It was two years ago. Get over it, stupid. Well, that helps you grieve. <laughs> that helps you feel the, let the sadness move through. No, we just clamp down on ourselves. But we so often add hostility to our suffering, judgment to our suffering, rejection to our pain, that you know is is doesn't doesn't help. So I wanted to read this story. Jack read this is from Jack's book. So forgive me for reading one of his stories. Because um, you may have heard it once or twice, but anyhow, it's a great story, so forgive me. 
and there are many of you who haven't heard it. So um, he tells a story of um, D.S. Bennett, who uh, had a very, very challenging childhood. And um, uh, as I've encountered with many, many people uh, who has had to work with things that were told to them when they were very young, like I had a student whose mother once said, it would have been better had you not lived when she went through a very difficult time in hospital. And this is a similar story. Uh, D.S. Bennett's mother once said, Mother always assured me, any child as naughty as you are should be afraid to go to sleep at night. <laughs> and um, so she talks, so she, she's chronicling her the list of challenges that um, she went through as a child. And she ran away once. She said, um, the most devastating words my mother ever spoke to me came when I asked her if she loved me. I had just been escorted home by the police after one of my many attempts to run away, so it was bad timing on my part. <laughs> she answered, how could anyone ever love you? How could anyone ever love you? It took me 50 years to heal the damage from all her ugly remarks. Recently, I remembered a childhood ritual of mine that, of mine that helped me survive. From the age of five or six until I was well into my teens, whenever I had trouble sleeping, I would slip out from under the covers and steal into the kitchen for a bit of bread or cheese, which I carried back to bed with me. There I'd pretend my hands belonged to someone else, a comforting, reassuring being without a name, like an angel or something. The right hand would feed me little bits of cheese and bread as the left hand stroked my cheeks and hair. My eyes closed, I would whisper softly to myself, there, there, go to sleep. You're safe now. Everything will be all right. I love you. So children often have this amazing capacity for, well, resilience for sure, and for love. And this is a beautiful example of that power, that potency, of bringing the heart to our tenderness, bringing the heart to our tragedy, to our suffering. So what are the ways that we could bring that sense of there, there, it's okay, it's okay. You know, I had several people on this retreat um, uh, doing this motion, you know, when the anxiety and the distress and the fear, just, just you know, stroking the heart, belly, solar plexus, it's okay, it's okay, it's going to be okay. You can handle this. Nobody's ever died from anxiety in meditation, it's okay. Might be painful, might be difficult, but it's okay. You are, this too will pass. So really, it's about bring, you know, befriending ourselves and being a friend to ourselves in our distress. It's easy, easier, you know, when a friend comes to us and they're upset, they're distressed, they're anxious, they're afraid, they're lonely, they're sad, they're grieving. You know, it's much easier for us to offer to console, to offer care and kindness. But what would it be to do that for ourselves? Yeah. And this, this resourcing practice that I was teaching earlier, that's a form of doing, that's a form of friendliness to ourselves. But also just being kind with our, can we, can we step outside of ourselves and, and hold ourselves as if we were holding a friend with tenderness, vulnerability. So, as just like Darlene Cohen was speaking to, 
in that piece about working with pain. One of the things that I've seen over the years, and it's helped over the years working with difficult inner pain, is knowing that it's also the place of amazing transformation, that we grow in those most painful, difficult, darker, soul-wrenching places. We get more whole, we come back to ourselves, we heal ourselves, we, you know, the heart breaks open, often with tragedy and loss and sorrow. And as much as we wouldn't wish those difficulties and, and pains and wounds on anybody, we probably also wouldn't give them back because it's what has allowed us to heal. It's what allowed us to, and it's certainly been true in my case, it's the, the incredible pain and trauma and whatnot. It's, it's, it just opened my heart. It's, it's, just, it's, it's what was needed to get this cool, reserved English bloke to soften, open his heart, you know? Sometimes takes a lot to do that. So, so I wouldn't give any of that back, even though it was tremendously challenging at times. As Rumi said, the wound is where the, the wound is the place where the light enters. The wound is the place where light enters. Or as Kahal Gibran said, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. The pain is the breaking of the shell. Well, Lenny Cohen, who I saw recently, also sang it. There's a crack in everything. It's where the light gets in. So as much as we avoid all these difficulties, these dukkhas, these sufferings, these pains, it's also what, you know, it's, it's both part of being human and it also makes us human in a certain way. It makes, it, it makes us a more full human being. So there are many other ways to be with these difficult experiences. I don't have time to go into them. Um, I'm just going to touch on two last things briefly. One is inquiry. And one of the the inquiries of the the reflections that the Buddha talked so much about is to understand the, the, the changing nature of our experience. To know no matter how difficult and dark and painful something is, to remember, oh, this too will pass. This too will change. It could get worse. It's always an option. <laughs> but at some point it changes. You know? And it's so hard in the middle of those dark, despairing places to believe that. We're convinced this is how it's always going to be. How many times have you thought, this is how it's going to be forever? I'm depressed and it's always going to be like that. I'm lonely and it's always going to be like that. I'm heartbroken and that's how it's going to be till I die. Who hasn't thought that at some point? It's always going to be like this, right? And then it changes. Yeah, some little kid runs along and you know does something silly, and you know a heart, a heart lightens. It maybe it's only for a moment. The little crack in the in the door. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember happiness. Yeah. Oh, we wake up and it's a beautiful day, like it was all last week, and it's stunning. And we just go, oh wow. There's more to life than my grief. There's also the green grass is returning. Yeah. Mm. You see the buds on the trees growing, not blossoming, but growing. Oh yeah, that too. This too will change, this too will transform itself. So I'm going to leave you with uh, one of my favorite stories of late. Um, 
and uh, it's it's um, an example of uh, the importance of humor. You know, to also holding as difficult and as painful as these things can be, to also hold it lightly, if we can. Not not always available, but sometimes. And humor is is indispensable for creating a, that sense of space, that space, that pause, that that allows us to have that response flexibility, without laughing at ourselves. Sometimes it's just you know we get really tight and contracted, and it's not funny. We don't laugh. So anyhow, so this is a story about. Uh, being kind to yourself when there's things like screaming children that you happen to be parents of uh, uh, challenging you. So a man's observing this woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in the shopping cart. As they pass the cookie section, the little girl asked the cookies, asked for cookies, and the mother told her, "No, no, no, no today." The little girl immediately begins to whine and fuss, and the mother says quietly, Now, Monica, we just have half of the aisles left to go through. Don't be upset, it won't be long. Soon they come to the candy aisle, and the little girl began to shout for candy. And when told she couldn't have any, she began to cry. There, there, Monica, the mother said, don't cry, only two more aisles to go, then we'll check out. When they get to the checkout stand, the little girl began immediately to clamor for gum and burst into a terrible tantrum upon discovering there'd be no gum purchased. The mother patiently said, Monica, we'll be through this checkout stand in five minutes, then you can go home and take a nice nap. The man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Monica inside the store, he began. Whereupon the mother said, what do you mean? My little girl's name's Tammy. I'm Monica. So we all need to laugh, laugh at ourselves, talk to ourselves kindly. There, 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 Mark. It's, it's all going to be okay. So there it is. So I, um, I trust that was useful for you in different ways. And um, uh, I wish you well in working with you know, challenges, which is inevitable. Buddha said, there is suffering in this life. So um, I wish you uh, every, every skill and tool available to work with the, the ups and downs. And uh, lovely to be with you. I think I'm back here in two weeks? Two weeks. Okay. Thank you. Blessings. Take care. Please take your chairs back to the Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.